3: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the High Performance Podcast and we know that you can't always spare an hour or sometimes a bit more than that uh, to hear one of our long form episodes but what we actually love to do is regularly look back on previous guests who've joined us and try and find a common theme and Damien's with me as always, hey Damien. Hi Jake. Uh, he's actually in a hotel room in Barcelona. His life is clearly far more glamorous than mine. I'm in a, <laughs> I'm in a cold room in Norfolk. Um, what we thought, Damien, was that we would just look at some of the advice or some of the messages from our guests over the past year about getting work-life balance correct, making sure that like there's not too high a price for success. And I think let's just be really clear right, with the people that are listening to this. High performance – it's not a podcast. It's not a brand. It's not a, it's not a source of information that says, work yourself to the bone. We're not really hot on this whole hustle culture you see. We're, not, we're trying our very best not to put out horrible kind of toxic messages. We don't always get it right, but we do try to get it right where we can. Ours is about, I guess it's about finding the thing that works for you. And if it's right for one person, it doesn't mean that it's right for you. And you shouldn't feel that just because something suits someone else in society, and it doesn't suit you, you're somehow failing or you're somehow struggling or you're somehow less worthy because you don't do the things that other people do.
4: That's a really powerful point, Jake. I think we're not offering a formula, a solution, an algorithm for how people live their lives. This is for everybody to work out for themselves of what works best for them. And I think where we're so privileged with the podcast is that we speak to people across that spectrum from either end of the extreme and those that are in the middle people that have given everything in Steven Gerrard's words they've gone all in for success versus those that have actually defined success as being a great parent or a partner or thought about it from a more holistic point of view and what we're not offering as you say is anybody telling anybody do this and these results will follow we're just offering perspectives and asking you to consider what works for you and what doesn't
3: and, you know, like I say, I don't think we always get it right. You know, I put something up just recently on LinkedIn saying how I love getting up at five o'clock in the morning and it got pulled apart really by people saying, kind of making out that I was making them feel less worthy because they weren't getting up at five o'clock or, you know, somehow it was like really sort of bad advice. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because what I was trying to not say was, you've got to get up at five o'clock if you want to be successful. What I was trying to say was, listen, this this is what I do and it has made a real difference for me and my life. But I I suppose sometimes I get disillusioned because I sort of I really want high performance to be a podcast that exists in a world where we all lift each other up, help each other out, offer a bit of advice, and we all come to it with a with a mindset of trying to be as understanding as possible. And then sometimes it feels like we live in this world where people are so keen to be angry, so quick to try and um, misrepresent someone else, or find a different angle. It it's a tricky it's a tricky conversation to have. This whole hustle type conversation I think isn't it
4: yeah definitely because I think people want certainty they want actual answers and when somebody doesn't offer it them the discomfort of not knowing of leaving something ambiguous and saying no you have to work that out yourself can often create anger so I saw the post that you put on I remember us talking about it and what you were trying to do is say this works for me and these are the these are the steps of why it works for me but what I didn't see you do was say, but you need to do this or you're a failure if you don't do it. It was, if somebody was to read it and go, you know what, getting up at five in the morning doesn't work for me. That's fine as well. Just take it. And like sometimes not having an opinion. is okay. Yeah, is also a position to take to go, that's okay. That's all right. It's not for me.
3: But you know, I have to check myself as well though, because I, we can talk about Brent Hoberman, right? Should we talk about yeah. Brent for a second? He joined us quite recently, didn't he? And like, That is one of my favorite episodes. I found him a really interesting guy, but I definitely did disagree with him when it came to the fact that he believes, you know, entrepreneurship is all in and family comes second. You know, I believe you can have a great life. And for me, anyway, family is at the center of it. And I actually had to remind myself during that conversation that that podcast episode isn't about me having to live the life that he's lived. It's about me choosing that there are some things Brent said I thought. I'm going to adopt those. Yeah. There's other things where I thought I will I fundamentally disagree with that, but I think we kind of exist as a as a forum for people to cherry pick what they want. Don't agree with everything. Like, what sort of person are you if you agree with absolutely everything that everyone else says? You'd be constantly going this direction, then that direction, then this. Do you know what I mean? You'd you'd never get where you want to go because you'd be derailed too often by other people.
4: There's a great quote from a a, a former Miami Dolphins coach called Don Shula that said, "If you don't stand for anything, you fall for everything." and I think it's that idea that you have to know what works for you, but equally what doesn't. So when we sat down with Brent, he he quoted the example of Steve Jobs, and I know a lot of people laud Steve Jobs for what he's done and being a great visionary, but we also spoke about the flaws of Steve Jobs, of how he could be deeply unpleasant and almost sociopathic in the way that he managed people, and I think What Brent wasn't doing in that example was he wasn't offering Steve Jobs as the archetype that we all need to follow. He was saying there were certain aspects of Steve Jobs' work that was actually really incredible that he adopted as an entrepreneur himself. And I think if we can get into that conversation again one of our previous guests Adam Grant said that we live in a world where it's almost like if you flip-flop of I used to believe this and now I believe something different we see it as a sign of weakness but we need to get into the position of actually seeing it as a sign of strength that you've changed your opinion based on hearing somebody's facts having a different perspective has made you rethink it and that's actually a really good thing
3: Let's have a bit of a listen then. This is Brent Hoberman. Just as a reminder for you, he co-founded LastMinute.com. He was also involved in co-founding Made.com as well, two businesses that ended up being valued at over a billion pounds. He's an incredible entrepreneur, hugely driven. This is what he said. It's sort of dangerous to say everyone can be an entrepreneur because actually, let alone for people's mental health, you've got to be this resilience isn't something everyone has. And and people can find happy. What we want is people to be happy, right? They can yeah. find happiness in many different ways. And my wife tells me or I say to my kids, you have to be an entrepreneur, whatever. They're like, make sure they know they can be happy in lots of different other ways. Yeah. It's not yeah, yeah. just that. Um, and I think what I mean is by people being suited to be an entrepreneur, it's this point that the obsessiveness you need to succeed is not for everyone. The best entrepreneurs, I'm sorry in this day of work-life balance, They don't have work-life balance. Work is their life and they love it. Um, And not everybody is going to love work that much that they can give it 95% of their whole life for for a period of time. You know what, Damien? I'm totally in the opposite sort of school of thought to most people now. You know where people are constantly looking to agree with people all the time and if you disagree, then you have to have a row with them or you have to cut them out of your social media feed or your life or whatever. I really like it when I hear someone say something I disagree with, because it kind of makes me realise that actually I've found something there. I found my thing. I found my answer to that conundrum. And my one, when it comes to the comments from Brent, is my family absolutely number one. I believe that you can run a successful business and still be a really present dad. I think that people who go, oh, I don't have time to be with my kids. I don't have time to go out for Sunday lunch with my wife. Oh, I don't have time to sit and have a beer with my mates. They are not winning In my opinion, they are not winning. It might work for them, but that's okay.
4: There was a really good extract in um, the Will Smith autobiography that he co-wrote with Mark Manson, who would add as a guest on, where he speaks about when he went to marriage guidance counselling with his wife, and he said, he teased it up and said, I've never seen my wife cry as hard as what she did after this session where the counsellor had asked him to write down the five priorities in his life in order, and then they asked his wife to do it separately. And Will Smith said he came back and at the top of his priority list was himself and then it was his uh, wife, then it was his kids and descending order, whereas his wife would put the kids first, then him second and then herself third. And when Will Smith explained his reason, he said that he saw himself as being the guide that was like the engine of his family, that if he he had to look after himself so he could keep providing for them and so forth. And he said it was a real insight into two different perspectives and neither of them were wrong. But if they carried on on those trajectories, it was going to cause heartache and, and and anger and bitterness. And I think that's what you're describing there, that in Brent's world, he's telling you that his priority is, is the business first and then the family will gain from it, whereas you're saying, well, actually, my order is slightly different. And that's a brilliant thing to be able to clarify and then to almost rank your priorities in that order gives you almost the transparency in the world that people know what you stand for. And they can almost predict how you're going to behave and where you're going to allocate your time, energy and resources.
3: Yeah, look, some people might want to be number one, right? That's fine. I like the idea of being the only one because then you're (laughs) unique, right? That's That's the difference. Just have a totally different mindset to other people. It's not about being better and winning every time. But then for some people it is. This is Stephen
5: Hendry. And the answer to this question blew our minds. I had a, a, a girlfriend who became a wife. Then you have a family. Life changes, and I always, I always fought against that. People say, "Oh, you're going to get married. That's it. That's the end of your career, and no, all that's you know, you have kids. That's it." Um, and I always fought against that. I was, I, 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 I still kept practising. I was determined to keep practising. The reason why there's so few people can win relentlessly is, is they sacrifice even family to get to you know, snooker's my life. Is number one. That came first, even before my wife, my kids, everything obviously, to the detriment of my marriage and everything. You know, it was all about me. It's very cold, but it has to be that. So
3: Stephen spoke about the fact that, you know, um, he had issues with his marriage and the relationship with his children. Um, and we said to him, you know, would you, now that you know the cost that winning at snooker had on your personal life, would you do it all over again? This was the answer that he gave. If you had your time again, would you win less games of snooker, be at home more and, and be married to your wife still and have a sort of family life or is the winning, which we spoke about right at the beginning, the
5: thing that you feel you were put on this earth to do to be yeah, a winner? Definitely. I mean, right. uh, there's going to be a lot of people watching us thinking, what an, what an absolute <laughs> cold son of a bitch. But that's, yeah, that's what I was putting. I was putting this uh, to, to win snooker match, win world titles and, and be as dedicated as I was to be the best. And yeah, given the same decisions, I'd, I'd make the same decisions again. Now that blew our minds. And then Damien and I
3: asked him his three non-negotiables. Have a listen to his first one. Three non-negotiable behaviors that you and the people around you have to buy into. Selfishness. Right. So here, let's have a conversation, right, Damien? I was only speaking about this with the guys at the Champions League match I was covering the other day. I actually, you know, they, I think it was Rio actually that said he doesn't think that he would have been as successful if he hadn't have been as selfish when he was a footballer. Yeah. Um, and then Joe Cole said, you know what, I wouldn't have been as good at football if I'd have enjoyed it more. I had to focus on being good rather than enjoying what I went through. And if i I, I would have loved to have enjoyed it more, but then I wouldn't have achieved so much. So there is this really interesting conversation here about getting to the very top of the mountain. It does have its victims. And it's quite incredible of Stephen Hendry to talk in the way that he did on our podcast, isn't it?
4: I thought it was amazing. I I remember being shocked that somebody was just so open and transparent with us, but actually really admiring his bravery. Because I think, all of us listening to this can think of people that talk a good game and don't necessarily back it up. They know that the more prudent response that Stephen could have given was to say, oh, of course I wish I was still with my wife and kids. And that would be what society would almost expect from him. But to be that cold-eyed to go, no, I wouldn't. I knew what I was doing and I, know, and I don't regret the decision that I made. It's something that you don't have to agree with it, but you can admire the clarity and the bravery to to be able to share that. And it's interesting that you say Rio's reaction to it because that was similar to when the special forces uh, listened to the podcast that told us that that Stephen Hendry episode was one of their own favourites because they felt that he was articulating the mindset that they have to have to be able to go into some of the most dangerous territories in the world and do the job they do. Selfishness needs to be at the front and centre of it. So again, it's a great one of what we're saying of if it challenges us and make you think a little bit about am I role modeling? So if I say I'm generous, am I really generous? Am I generous in every situation? Or are there certain people I'm generous to and certain situations I'm not? And being clear about that allows us to feel that we're acting in congruity with who we say we are. And we all know that we like our leaders, we like people around us to be people we can rely on and that basically is do what you say you'll do
3: and just don't be angry like if someone like Stephen Hendry thinks like Stephen Hendry you know it worked for him he needed it if, you know I'm sure his wife and children might think differently but I think you, you know we have to accept that people have different approaches to life right it's just, it's just that is society that is the world and if we were all the same it wouldn't be anything like as interesting as it is
4: But there's an interesting exercise there. If people are listening to this, maybe do this with the people that are closest to you, whether it's your partner or you've got children or or whether it's friends around you. Be really clear about what your behaviours are and ask them for theirs as well. It gives you that clarity to go, oh, so again, I'll use the example of Adam Grant when we had him on and he said that he lived in that state of guilt about his friendships, that he didn't invest as in much time in his friendships as he thought he should do. And yet when he went and spoke to his close friendship group, they went, nah, if we see you once a year, we're happy with that, as long as that once a year meeting that we have is a quality time that we spend with each other. And when the, that, when they were really clear about to be a friend is about, even if it's just catching up once a year and making time for each other, that's enough. That allowed them all to then not carry that guilt of, of unmet expectations around and actually enjoy the moments when they did spend it in each other's company
3: yeah I think it's really nice actually and I think there's another bit of learning from this as well which is like you're not always right <laughs> I remember Ricky Gervais he was talking he was asked by someone you know how how do you feel um about people who are offended by your comedy he said well I mean his answer was well just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right <laughs> and I think there's there's a point there like if you don't agree with something that someone says on the podcast or it, or it really like annoys and angers you, well, th- consider the fact that maybe you're not right and maybe they are. You know, that's that's a moment
4: of potential growth for you, which I think is also really valuable for people. Or even just take away right and wrong. Like, just remove those yeah. kind of pejorative statements and just go, it, it's somebody's position and I don't have to is, label it. it. Yeah. yeah, And, you know, mine's my position and neither of us is right, neither of us is wrong. We just come in at it from different positions. Let's hear from a couple
3: more people who have, have sort of been in this this space on high performance. Who would you like to hear from, Damien?
4: I really liked the conversation that we had with uh, Jill Scott on this because she spoke to us around the fact that she was obsessed from being a young girl growing up in the North and loving football and sort of got then heading off into what was then still an amateur game in and, and the foothills of professionalism. She said it was only years later when she realised that the things that she took for granted like not having a cup of tea at a certain time of night or you know making decisions to not go to a party because she needed to focus on the game coming up she realised that that actually wasn't the norm and she realised that going after her obsession didn't leave her being as well rounded as she thought she was that was a really interesting chat that we had
1: You need to be obsessed. In order to be successful, you need to be obsessed. And I think now that I've retired, I realised how obsessed that I was. So, for example, you're watching Netflix, it it hit 10 o'clock and you really want to watch that next episode. But I knew I had to go to bed because I had training the next day. I'd have a cup of tea at say eight o'clock. It'd hit nine, ten. Oh, I want another one. No, you shouldn't. It's a lot of caffeine. Might keep you awake. You've got training tomorrow. And I think when I retired, I remember staying up till half eleven and having two cups of tea. And I was like, oh my God, I'm being a rebel. But I did just become completely obsessed with it. And I think in them early days, there was a lot of moments where I was like, How can football fit into life? I was travelling from Sunderland to Liverpool. I was still seeing my friends. I was going out with college and stuff like that. But then as the years went on, it was like, how does life fit into football? And you do end up missing like a lot of things. I missed family weddings, christenings. I never really could go to friends' birthday parties, nothing. Basically, football became my obsession, my, my life. And I think that just gradually happened.
3: I like this thing about being obsessed. You know, I am. Um, I'm a big fan of the Stoics, as you know. We had Ryan Holiday on the podcast. People, if you've not heard the Ryan Holiday episode, search for it right now. He was brilliant, and he wrote a book, Damien, called Discipline Is Destiny. And I think this plays nicely into what you know. Jill was talking about, what Stephen Gerrard spoke about on the podcast, what loads of others have spoken about as well. This idea of discipline, and I think that. That's an area where we do have to be, I think, really clear with people. It's like if you want to make a really big change in life, discipline is often the thing that can be the difference between the thing that you really want happening and the thing that you really want not necessarily coming off. It's underappreciated, it's probably under discussed as well, but the power of discipline is really quite something. I think that's what gets people from where they are to where they want to be more often than not.
4: It's like the drumbeat in the background of any high performance is the fact that you show up every day, even when you don't feel like it. The fact that you your emotions almost get uncoupled from the fact that I, this is just what I do and this is when I do it. I think, yeah, you're right that it's not glamorous, it's not sexy, it's not high profile. And I think sometimes in our search for marginal gains, the idea of looking for that 1% that makes us different, I think sometimes we negate the fact that 99% of it is the consistency of showing up and just doing the basics every day. And I
3: think that we also have to remind ourselves of the cost of of temptation or of not doing it. I think once people understand that actually indulging or doing that thing that they think they're really going to love might actually be worse than resisting. I think the urge begins to lose its appeal. Well, you're
4: really good on this, aren't you? Like, I remember you, That like, what's that analogy you that you told me about where, when you've got a phone call to do, the, com- the conversation you have in your head that you might not be looking forward to the phone call, but how you square that circle?
3: So... For a long time, I was a procrastinator. I would never do things that I didn't want to do because I thought it'd be too painful. And it's only when you actually do that thing that you realize the real pain is the suffering in advance. It's the thinking about it. It's the fearing it. It's the putting it off. It's the not doing it. And then actually, you realize that self-control actually becomes the real pleasure. Like I'm 44 and not in the very best of shape and my bones creak and everything else, but I'm trying to lose a bit of weight, right? And the real joy at the moment is just proving to myself that I can do it, is like, can you just be disciplined? Can I be disciplined, right, for three months? Can I stick to a really rigid, really strict diet for three months? And actually, the pleasure that I would get from eating five bags of crisps in the evening when I'm a bit peckish or letting myself down, I'm actually getting more pleasure now from getting to the end of the day and going, do you know what, I demonstrated real self-control, which is great. And I think, discipline was it Abraham lincoln that said discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most
4: yes it was yeah
3: and i i I think it's a lovely way of looking at it what do you really want if you really want that thing then right now be disciplined and you will get there i think it's a nice way to think and if you haven't heard the conversation with ryan holiday i i can't i can't tell you how much i mean i was so excited that day to chat to him wasn't i
4: yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that he, he sort of came to us, didn't he, from his studio? And what I was really impressed about was his commitment of getting his book titles tattooed on himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't it, But I just thought that was brilliant because he had Discipline his Destiny yeah. on his right arm, didn't he? And he had uh, The Obstacle is the Way on his left arm, which... You know, these are messages that this is a guy who literally lives the messages that he's writing mm. about.
3: I would like to pick up on a final conversation. It, cool. it might be our most listened to episode. It was certainly one that sort of really changed the game for us when we welcomed Johnny Wilkinson onto High Performance. We've spoken to Johnny on two occasions. Um, and this is what he discussed with us when it comes to sacrifice and happiness and his new perspective.
0: On a Saturday afternoon... For the majority of the time, between half two and four o'clock, I was in that state. That's why I was able to do what I did. The thing was, is I just created an idea, as most people do, that that state is revealed or earned through great suffering and sacrifice. So there seems to be this deep understanding, which I've explored and experienced otherwise since, that by suffering and stressing and fighting, you somehow end up in a joyful flowing state. Whereas my understanding, my own experience of it tended to be that by spending my time suffering, stressing and sacrificing, what I did was create stronger habits of suffering, stressing and sacrificing. It's a bit like the whole kind of, you know, when I grow up, when I get my car, when I get my promotion, when I get my family, when I get my big house, when I get to retirement, that's when my joy is going to hit me, when I've got enough money. But then even when you've got the boat in the, in the, yeah, in the, in the sunny port, you're still suffering and stressing.
3: I still maintain, you know, Damien, that someone like Johnny had to be like Johnny was when he was an international rugby player. And I think it's great that he realises that there is so much more to his life now.
4: Yes, I agree. And I think there was parallels with him, with Dylan Hartley, when we had him on. Because Dylan spoke in a very similar way about the sort of struggle that he went through. You know, he told us that. That great story about he trained on Christmas Day, you know, and that was very much like Johnny having to do the extras that nobody else was doing because it gave him that sense of confidence that he'd gone to places that his opponents weren't prepared to, which allowed him to go and play with that freedom. So I think you're right that so often that that idea of struggle is almost what success requires, can be really helpful for a lot of people. I've heard Steve Redgrave speak about that idea that he would trained to collapse when he was in the boat because he knew that he could then live with that pain and his opponents wouldn't be able to do it when it got into the final straights of a gold medal race. Sometimes that, that does give an awful lot of confidence to performers to believe that that's where it goes. But like Johnny tells us that that doesn't actually lead to a long-term happiness in life when you know, he's now a father, he's a partner, he's pursuing other avenues in his life. He realised that he, he also had to be mentally flexible enough to understand that that way worked for a while, but it wasn't a long-term sustainable approach for him.
3: I love hearing back these old episodes, you know. It just reminds me of what an absolute pleasure it is to sit and have these conversations. And we're only pulling out small little snippets, but, you know, those conversations come on for an hour or more and the whole thing is is fascinating, isn't it?
4: Yeah, and again, the thing that I always feel so proud of when I tell people is it's free for you to go and access. This isn't something that, that, that you need to go and pay for. These are like some of the world's greatest achievers just sharing the tips, the techniques, and the lessons that they've learned for free. And, you know, if people are listening to this and want to go and explore in the archive, go and listen to Dylan Hartley, go and listen to Ryan Holiday, go and listen to Jill Scott, these are all out there for you to just go and listen to in your own time, in your own space.
3: I love it. Um, Damien, thank you so much, mate. Thanks, mate. I really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah,
4: I always find it really helpful for us as well, that I think it's important for people to understand this, that we don't have the answers, we're searching as much as they are. And I think mm. these conversations often help me make sense of it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, we we certainly don't have all the answers. You know, maybe the worst will happen. Maybe it won't. But until that time happens or that time comes, the the only thing, the only bit of advice that we can offer you is just to look forwards with positivity. You know, we find that the people we speak to on the podcast, optimism and positivity are the two most important traits. And also, I think a lot of these people have learned to be indifferent to the things that make no difference. They're not wrapping their lives up with anger about what other people are up to, other people's successes, other people's failures. You know, they realise that their own failure and the things that they lack are actually the things that educate them, the things that cleanse them, the things that teach them stuff, you know, because life is short, right? If you forget the past, neglect the present and fear the future... I love that. Then you're in trouble. That was a Seneca quote. Life is short and anxious for those who forget the past, neglect the present, and fear the future.
4: So if we can, I didn't need to mention the Seneca bit, Jake. I was <laughs> impressed. <laughs> I'm not claiming that as
3: my own. <laughs> I am not claiming that as my own. Damien, appreciate that, mate.
4: Thanks, mate. Loved
2: it. Even when we're on
0: a budget, we still deserve nice things.